there. Just a quick heads up, this obviously contains spoilers for everything. Everything we've ever done. Everything that has ever happened on the Pasithea Powder. Alright, let's go. Hi! <laughs> It's Hi, the Q&A. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the Q&A episode. Uh, we're here. We did it. We made it. We made it. You all sent so many excellent questions in, and you know what? We're going to answer the majority of them. Um, we had some technical difficulties, which is why, well, <laughs> which is why our audio is bad. <laughs> <laughs> It's extra bad today. It's my fault. I thought uh, my headphones were broken, but it turns out my headphone jack was broken. Um, tragedy. So, you know what? Start as you mean to go on. This is just a throwback to the first season. <laughs> that's that. <laughs> um, whoever whoever yeah. gave us the benefit of the doubt and was like, oh, the audio was a victim of the pandemic. God bless your soul. It would have been like that anyway. <laughs> Uh, we're happy to have you here at the bottom of the sea with us, friends. Yes. Huh? <laughs> um, all, right. all right. So I have loosely grouped these questions that you all have shared with us into sections that we might not highlight. We're just going to roll on through. Um, the first question is from Abby. How are you doing? Okay, Abby. Uh, so I live in Seattle and today was our first 75 degree day of the year. And I literally just went to a park and looked at a body of water and like got a sunburn today. Like that's the only thing that I did. Uh, and my, I didn't, I didn't read anything. I didn't write anything. I just sat there and looked at the water for like three and a half hours. Um, that's where I'm at. I'm just in the sunshine looking at water. That is so good. I love that. I had a similar day. I, it's been a rough week. I had a, uh, family friend like family kind of like a death in the family kick off the week uh so it's been gnarly but um today I was driving around in my car and I decided to listen to Avicii and for whatever fucking reason Avicii cured me like (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm pumping through like all the hits in Avicii and the sun was shining and uh it was a good day so thank you Abby I'm doing good (laughs) all right question two is uh from anonymous uh do you think you picture sophie and jane the same way as each other yes (laughs) no no okay we talked about this you think uh you think i I forget which one of them you think is taller but we disagreed about who is taller didn't we? sophie is taller well okay i also think that i feel like we disagreed at one point oh um jackie Andrews thinks that Jane is taller and also the internet thinks that Jane is taller (laughs) um which you know no that makes sense there was oh no 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 I know I remember you think Jane's hair is curly and I think Jane's hair is straight oh yeah that makes sense yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) um okay so a couple different people asked a version of this question we've got Layla and Cloudy um Layla asks at what point in the story were you sure of the ending and Cloudy asks, how did your idea of the series, how did your idea of how the series would end evolve over time? Did it look significantly different at different points in the production? Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, looked different at different points. Um, it So it actually looked different 
right up until almost the very end, we had written. Okay, so let's back up. Yeah. When we sat down and outlined season three in fall of 2021. That can't be right. Is that right? Yeah. Because I had had, I had a weird foot thing. And so I was sitting in my parents' uh, room while they were out. I remember it vividly. I remember your foot thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, we wrote a final scene because we both had a screenwriting professor who uh, one of his approaches was to write the end first and then aim toward that. And that was very helpful and instructive. So we actually wrote a final scene. Um, and then the closer not... we got to it, the more it was like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> it was, so that was like, uh, I, I can't believe it was that long ago yet, fall 2021, that we wrote that first final scene that we totally tossed, like no trace of that final scene nope. remains in the actual final scene. I think one trace remains. It's at night and it's very. Uh... That's true meditative there's a little bit of like the spirit of it that haunts the the actual ending i think mm -hmm. but uh layla to like to your question about like at what point were you like sure of what the ending was i think like all the way through season two like the most we were talking about the ultimate ending was like will it be happy right. will it be sad will it be bittersweet and I think we were both like probably bittersweet, right? Yeah. Um, and then as we got towards the end of season two, um, I I felt like a shift towards bittersweet, but mostly happy. Yeah. That, I feel like that was like where we kind of figured that out. I think we started having conversations in season one about like audience expectation in the sense of not in not the expectation that you the audience brought to it but sort of from a writing perspective like you set expectations in the audience by playing up certain things and dialing down certain things and we were like we have set an expectation unstated that Sophie and Jane are going to get together at the end of this and it would be a betrayal of what we've written if they didn't get together at the end of this so like yeah. all along we were aiming in that direction but <laughs> get together and i'm doing air quotes that you cannot see <laughs> listeners like what that was shifted so much over the course of writing it and when that happened got pushed back and back and back and back as we were writing it yes uh but you know the actual ending scene also i think is the scene we did the most drafts of out of anything else in the podcast yes um, so we did our, our original draft but then pretty late in the game we were doing multiple drafts of the ending scene that's the only scene that we have meaningfully rewritten and it happened in this way that like we both we wrote it and we were like okay sounds great and we went our separate ways and i think in different ways but ultimately amounting to the same thing we were like <laughs> that's not right like no. it's like it's a it's not right it turns out that when you're writing a story that's ongoing for three years it's actually kind of hard to like get to that place of finality where yeah. you're not leaving yourself a breadcrumb to pick up later like we kept yeah. leaving breadcrumbs yeah and we're being intentionally vague and kind of not describing these alternate <laughs> endings I think because um the first one was bad <laughs> and the second one was just a too, too too dark. Yeah. 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 
And the third one was just right. Just right. <laughs> uh, so our next set of questions um, from Layla. Uh, were there any characters for whom your initial idea of their ending point changed significantly? And similarly, Barbara asked, did any major plot points or character arcs end up changing drastically from what you originally envisioned when you started writing the show? Um. So I think we're going to save the Agent Blanc and Agent Cullen of this all for later. Uh, <laughs> but I think this is another opportunity to kind of talk about how casting influenced um, how characters unspooled. We've talked about this a little bit in prior Q&As and the one AMA we did for Patreon. But, um, you know, casting Tim Briggs as George Moreau was just sort of a revelation. Yes. Like, Moreau... I mean, Molly, you can speak to this better than I can, probably. Well, so I made Moreau, like my, my initial idea for Moreau was like, oh, Jane has left Cassandra where she mostly talked to Agent Blanc. Like, who is she going to talk to now? Uh, the character of uh, Moon isn't really like a friendly chatting partner. So like, I, I need to like come up with someone for Jane to talk to. And Moreau like just really evolved because like Tim's performance was so amazing and like you know Tim is our spike right Moreau yeah. is like a, uh supposed to be a little bit of like a, a one-off character but the audience loved the audience and the creators clearly love Spike so much that he becomes a regular on the show I, I feel like that's the case for Moreau yeah yeah um and then I think there were a couple characters who it wasn't on the level of arc or, you know, end point or anything, but we just kind of wanted to get the actors back. <laughs> um, so for me, that was, you know, Linda, Kat Evans just had to be around, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, the the other thing that I'll say is that this this kind of goes back to the last question as well. I really thought Evelyn would be more present in the final season of the show than he wound up being. Yes, uh, yes. And that, I think, was as we were writing it, you know, we're writing the story about grief and we kind of figured out, oh, wait, they can't actually stay at this place of, like, obsessive, like, focus. Like, that's not actually how grief works. You do yeah. eventually, even though it hurts, like, let the person go. And so... Yeah letting Ian's voice go halfway through the season I think was like a bit of a blow but also yes. like oh, yeah that original vision didn't really suit it yes man people really wanted Omicron to come back and yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right Barbara asks if you got sent back in time and had a chance to start the show from scratch all over again is there anything you would do differently I feel like you have a good answer for this that you've shared before do I you said that not on, not in like a plot way, but you oh, would seed Moreau earlier. Absolutely. If I had like, you know, I mean, now we all, you know, love uh, George Moreau. And so I feel like you're all probably wondering, what was George doing during season one? And I kind of wonder that too. I'm like, I bet George was doing fun stuff in season one. Yeah. Having some, uh, some more Medea kind of come into that first season would have been fun. Yeah. Uh, but uh, nothing that like, uh, I mean, you know, there's some like 
learning uh, growth stuff about like how to make a podcast that I think yes. could teach yes. yes. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like this is kind of a hard question to answer because on the one hand, I'm like, I don't regret anything. It's perfect. It all led us here. But also at the same time, I'm like, good mics for everyone. Like, yes. don't let some of the characters hang out to dry by being like, oh, just record however, you know? Um, yeah. Like a lot of sort of technical stuff, but in general in terms of plot and character not i don't think i would change much if anything same um so lacy asks uh were eleanor lopez's intros and outros ever intended to be real in universe and similarly uh an anonymous asks who did the narration and how did y'all come up with so many cheeky ways to say who they were in the credits of every episode well, Anonymous, uh, Lacey's pointing you in the correct direction. So that was Jackie Andrews as Eleanor Lopez doing the narration. Um, and in terms of how we came up with cheeky ways to say who they were, we were not afraid of outfit repeating at all. We kind of <laughs> came up with whatever we felt at the time. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, and I think, you know, part of part of why we did the like cheeky ways of, you know, narrated by whatever was to have a fun little thing at the end. Uh, but part of it was to avoid saying whether it was Eleanor or Jackie Andrews yeah. who was narrating, because obviously, you know, I would be surprised if Eleanor got access to all of the footage in the show, but yeah. I, the first season is all the telescope tapes. And yeah. I think like that sign off is a little bit of our, uh, you know, our hanging on to that trope a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So like to Lacey's question, you know, were Eleanor Lopez's intros and outros ever intended to be real in universe? E yes and no. Like, I think mm -hmm. this is sort of a, it's like a bridge. So, you know, if you've listened, you know, season two kind of marks a shift away from not everything that we hear is something that's been recorded and therefore not everything we hear has been leaked by Jane. Um, and there's a couple things in season one. So episode nine that's mostly just sophie by herself there's no way that eleanor lopez would have had the diaries and so forth um oh, so there was I've already been... kind of some suspension of disbelief no 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 i've got totally got a theory about that oh my um, god <laughs> I, i've developed this theory 0.5 seconds ago but i now have it uh one of sophie's like shitty stepfathers like ex-stepfathers like sells her diaries to eleanor lopez and so that's how she has those tapes yes okay so that's the other thing we don't know how far in the future this is being released it's true like or <laughs> does not have the same growth everyone else has exactly oh yeah no of course not <laughs> Eleanor is on a different show and she <laughs> loves it that way. <laughs> it's true. Um, so yes and no, they are real. And then they are. Um, yeah. Why do I almost want to say extrajudicial? <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> Non-diegetic. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question from Lacey. When first listening to the podcast, I thought it was going to dig exclusively into the ramifications of pasithea use and abuse among humans, only for the introduction of the others to blindside me. Do you have any thoughts on what the story might have looked like without the others, or were they too baked into the story from the start? You know, we came up with the others really early in the process. Yeah. Um, I think, did we have the others before we had given them names? Yes, because we were calling them, <laughs> we were calling them the vampire eggs. 
Yes. And um, I, I don't, how did we get vampire eggs? I forget. I, because they're like, <laughs> I don't remember where the egg thing comes from, <laughs> but it was like, so like, they're like sucking, they're sucking, they're, they yeah. suck. <laughs> <laughs> we, I remember us talking about like, okay, so the others are not like zombies. They're more like vampires. Yeah. Um, and the, clearly that's where we got the vampires. Were the eggs because we hadn't named the eggerins yet, but we were calling them yes. like the eggs maybe? Maybe. <laughs> also so i remember also early on i <laughs> i don't remember what my thinking was because also so when we started this i had never written sci-fi before in my damn life <laughs> and i put my foot down i was like i don't want robots but i will accept aliens and so i kind of <laughs> in my mind that kind of was like okay then we will have aliens <laughs> and i was like well okay i love robots and aliens so i guess we're doing aliens <laughs> god but yeah i mean i think like there could be a version obviously obviously like there's a version of this in an alternate universe a la stephen hawking that exists that is purely like delving into the use of pasithea yeah and it would be much more kind of like photorealistic um sci-fi yeah i think like part of why we brought the others in was wanting to have more ways of like bringing ghosts into the story without yeah. literally like bringing fantasy into the story. Yeah. Uh, so like Pasithea is a way of like trying to banish your ghosts and the others are like a device for making the ghost come to the surface. Right. So yeah. they're working in opposition to each other. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, is it me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, also from Lacey. How would things have gone if the conspirators had used Pasithea on each other to erase their research? Would humanity have been doomed? I'll answer the second one, mm -hmm. which is I don't think so, because I very much think humanity started it. Like, I believe the others when they say that the attacks that, you know, Sophie witnessed with that one ship were kind of one-off things of, like, other poachers randomly showing up and they would have moved on and it never would have happened again. So... Yeah, I don't think it's humanity's doomed if there's no other intervention. I think it's, like, the others would have just become, like, a spooky monster at the edge of the galaxy. Like, yeah. I don't think it would be war. As they are to the Egerans. Like, exactly. the others are coming. Okay, they came and they left. And I think, sort of, you know, depending on whatever your level of supernatural belief is, like, sort of how we do treat ghosts, where it's like, yeah. either it's like a literal thing that exists, like Casper, or it's explained in a different way, but, like, it amounts to what we you know describe as ghosts or it just doesn't exist full stop and i feel like that's how they would deal with yeah. the others in that other universe i think like eleanor lopez's show is probably like here's like a random attack of a wild animal on a spaceship when there's no <laughs> wild animals so like what happened here it and, would like, be like would be that like... malaysian flight it would be yes! like here's the three wild suppositions on this netflix show only one of yeah. which in my opinion makes much sense at all but all of which are compelling because in absence of any other evidence why not that's exactly right. That's, you know, my I, I vote for the conspiracy theory that it was an invisible space bear, personally. Right, right, <laughs> right. Oh, my God, the terror. Okay. Um, 
Oh, I love this question. Thank you, Lacey. Again, role reversal time. How do you think the story would have gone if Jane and Evelyn had been the survivors or Sophie and Evelyn had been their survivors rather than Jane and Sophie? Oh, man. Uh, that's hard to answer in like a, a pithy way. <laughs> oh, no. Rose. Oh, Rose, you're back. I'm back. Okay, great. Yeah. What did when you say? I first saw this question, I thought, oh, it would be shorter, but that's definitely not true. Because if it were Jane and Evelyn, it would be extremely verbose. <laughs> and if it were Sophie and Evelyn, it would be even more shouty than it already is. That's so true. <laughs> it would be like uh, either really up the amount of like dialogue um, yeah. or it would be like, let's really just like amplify the the number of fights that happen per episode. <laughs> yeah. Either way, I think there would be the same amount of sexual tension. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the same amount of grief. Um, yeah. But I think if Jane and Evelyn had been the survivors, there would be less animosity between them, especially at the beginning. Like, I think they would be working in tandem pretty quickly. Um, I also think, you know, Evelyn would not be mad at Jane for making the choice she did about Pasithea. Um, yeah. But I think it's quite likely that if he survived um, that protest in the neutral zone, he would also be in prison with Jane. So they're also in a very different like position of vulnerability uh, than the Jane and Sophie tag team were. Yes. Oh, my God. That would be like prison break. <laughs> but maybe Evelyn would be in an actual prison, whereas Jane is still in her weird, cushy, like semi-public palace prison. Yeah. Yeah. Except Evelyn's parents would probably. Oh. Yeah. Okay, maybe he's under like a sad house arrest. Yep. <laughs> and then Sophie and Evelyn, it would be honestly like I think that would actually be closer to the actual plot because there would still be one person like trying to persuade Sophie that she's full of shit. <laughs> but I don't think Sophie would be as receptive to hearing it. So. And uh, they wouldn't be able to figure out any of the science stuff. They would just nope. be, you saw David Allegros. Wow. Like, like okay, then. Anyway, back to me. <laughs> um, I, I think he would be quick to point out the political conspiracy pieces of it and like very slow to pick up on all of the sciencey stuff. And yeah. uh, I don't think they'd, they'd get as far as quickly. Nope. Nope. Um... Okay, next question from Lacey is, how are you not tempted to make a character secretly an other all along? Uh, there was one 3am moment where I went, did Sophie die on that spongy moon encountering the others? And now there's an other with her face and memories who doesn't realize what they are because Pasithea shenanigans. And then another Lacey question that I'm adding on to this, what was up with Sophie's father? Another 3am thought I had, I wondered if he was an other making our girl a hybrid if the <laughs> shapeshifting goes that far. Uh... Okay, let's deal with the other thing first, then I'll briefly address Sophie's father. <laughs> um, so Not tempted at all, right? I really don't think we were. Like, I think, again, because, like, the, the kind of emotional purpose of it is, uh, of the others as, like, a device, right, is to bring the ghosts back to life. It's not, like, I don't think the horror we were exploring is, like, it, are you wrong? Like, or are you yeah. who you think you are? Like, it was more, like, what happens when you... A, when you can't when you can't live with your memories and B, yeah. what happens when you have to anyway? Yeah, I mean, I think like our thing is it's horrifying enough to be a human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what's up with Sophie's father? Just some guy. Like, 
<laughs> Probably one night stand, just some guy. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, our oh, next question. Sorry, but no, there is some. Okay, he's not a one night stand because she no. Well, okay, he's just some guy. Yeah, he's a yeah. dude. He's just a, a dude. A dude named Guy. <laughs> <laughs> like the like guy of like Sherwood or whatever. The yeah, guy. guy. <laughs> oh yeah, that guy. That guy. Um, okay, here we go. So. Lacey, thank you for asking this question. Was Evelyn trans? I wondered due to the gender correction on the telescope and Jane's quote, it's not that different, end quote, when Sophie asked Jane what it's like to be with a woman, a passage cast out on this reading, but still I'm curious. Okay. So, yeah, there's a so, lot. There's a lot here. Um, a, uh, I think it's important to say, like, if that's anyone's reading of Evelyn, like, great. You are correct. That's <laughs> awesome. You're correct. Um, we did not intend him to be trans. If we did, we would have cast a trans actor. Yeah. Um, we, you know, obviously like, not, maybe not obviously. So I think we sort of share the opinion that like, it's, you know, fine and just to cast trans actors as cis characters, but not to do mm -hmm. the reverse. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, the the potential for Evelyn being trans is due to a couple things that we didn't really think through. Um, yeah. One I, of them being his name. Honestly, I don't know why I was so hung up on this. But like when we came up with the character of Evelyn, I was I was like, well, what about Evelyn? And you were like, well, wouldn't it be Evelyn? Because like that's how like the like quote unquote yeah mask like pronunciation is for like that name in the which is ridiculous because <laughs> like ask yourselves what sounds more masks mask mask <laughs> evelyn or evelyn evelyn come on evelyn Waugh. i was like well i i no offense to evelyn Waugh, but i don't like the name evelyn because it reminds me of even rude which was the little creature from the rescuers movie yes in the swamp um but uh so I was like, I don't want him to be Evelyn. I like Evelyn. And yeah. so I, for some reason, like, I think it really was just because we had had that conversation and I was like, oh, I must make it clear in this interview with Eleanor Lopez, like why I've chosen to have his name be pronounced this way. And it was a silly writing mistake, honestly, that really didn't need to be there. But um, I think, yeah. And then likewise, so like that was Molly's silly writing mistake. <laughs> and then my silly writing mistake. I mean, both of these are also not mistakes, but yeah. I think- the mistake is in, they do, point. I mean, like, to a discerning reader, which you all are, like, they point in a certain direction that, yep. you know, we would love to take credit for, but we just did not write. So yeah. then on my end, it's like that whole conversation with Sophie and Jane where Jane's like, it's not that different when Sophie's like, what's it like to be with a woman? Um, that was actually my attempt to, like, hint at a future where we are, like, less hung up on what anatomy, like, corresponds to what gender uh and so it was sort of like and also a future where um you know we've traded the assumption of heterosexuality for the assumption of bisexuality which is like not equally bad but also comes with problems yes. um and so jane's basically like it's not like what are you talking about like possibly at some point like yeah like like literally sophie what are you saying and sophie's like i don't know what i'm saying but I, you know uh so yeah. yeah that's what that was all about um but again just to close this one out 
if you think Evelyn is trans, you are correct. Evelyn yeah. is trans. That's wonderful. Yep. Yep. We never put anything, I mean, again, unintentionally, nothing made it into the canon that contradicts that reading. So yes. go wild, but also do not give us credit for something we did not do. <laughs> yes. Um, our next question, again, from Lacey. Lacey, we love all these questions. This is fantastic. Yeah, for real. Uh, did Jane have imposter syndrome, given how desperate the conspirators and the Cassandran government were to get her back on the Pasithea team, suggesting she was much more competent and integral to the team than she thought she was? So I think the answer here is yes. And one thing that I feel like I, so I, I had my birthday, uh, two days ago. I'm 33 now. It's exciting. Jesus Christ. Seriously. <laughs> Or uh, as a friend of the pod, Maddie Mitchell pointed out, I'm a hobbit uh, who's finally attained adulthood because that's when yes. hobbits are adults. Um, but I'm really like thinking about how it's only in the last couple of years that I've been thinking about my own imposter syndrome and how sometimes it's both real and fake at the same time, yeah. right? And I think that's the case with Jane. Like when I look back to my 20s, my, my early 20s specifically, Yes, I absolutely had imposter syndrome. And for real, there was like a bigger picture. But like the bigger picture that I fit into was hard for me to see at the time without feeling like it totally like abnegated the work I was doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now I feel like, you know, I, I can see like, oh, okay, here's like where my work kind of fits into a bigger picture. And like, uh, it doesn't mean like my work is meaningless to say that like, oh, there are other factors kind of at play, right? Yeah. And I think that's the case with Jane. I think Jane totally has imposter syndrome. And I do think like her work was valued and important, probably much more than she thinks it was. And I think uh, she's right that like a lot of the reason that she's valued is because of appearances um a lot of the reason reina valencia specifically wants her back on cassandra is for politics not because of science um and that's something that jane is like really you know bothered by the whole show but increasingly like in season two and season three like she does not want to be a political figure and she is one and yeah. i think like she is competent yes she's important to that team sure but like she would be moderately so uh if not for the circumstances she's found herself in yeah yeah mm, for real all right Lacey asks what was your personal favorite season and what was your favorite season to work on Ooh, great question okay I think my favorite season is season one <laughs> yeah I love season one <laughs> because I mean like I think it was, it was so, I mean, this, this did not change. Like the whole time was like this fun voyage of discovery. But I think when it comes to like plotting something of that length, it's more fun to set things up than it is <laughs> to tie them off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think like, if I had to like pick the season, I think is like the best I think it's probably like, oh, I'm actually quite torn between season two and season three. I was going to um, say, like, I think they have different things going for them. Like, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, it's hard for me to think of like the seasons as a unit instead of like the episodes as units. Yeah. Uh, 
but season one, the pleasures of discovery season three, I think felt like the hardest to do because I think endings are more work than beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so I think maybe that leaves me with season two as the the actual favorite one because that's uh the one where we get to kind of live in between where we don't have to introduce you to things but we don't have to finish them either yeah shout out to season three though for having the largest number of listeners um, because <laughs> yeah. it's always more fun to do stuff when we're getting responses so that, that is true. delightful um so our next set of questions are actually about season three um, sort of thematically. Uh, Anthony asks, I found it really interesting that after being the center of attention so long, Jane and Sophie and the audience are outside in the hallway for final negotiations. Why did you decide to have them and us not be part of the action? I love this question. This yes. allows us to pontificate about one of the things that we've been thinking about, talking about, and pontificating about since we started the document outlining things where we had the word vampire egg in it, <laughs> which is we are we were raised on chosen one narratives in which people like Katniss Everdeen or um, Dolly, Part Dolly Parton's best creation, Harry Potter, um, are like the one person who can like thread the needle on this like huge geopolitical problem. Yeah. And I mean, I'm throwing Katniss under the bus a little bit because Hunger Games does complicate that. But like, you all know the format. Luke Skywalker. So like, I sort of reject that narrative. Like, in terms of storytelling, like, I don't find it particularly interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, And also I think like, it's not uh it's not as it's it's if too neat and the other thing is like you know going back to the imposter syndrome being both real and fake of it all right like part of it, it's frustrating for jane and sophie to be in the hallway waiting to see to hear what's going to happen yeah. but also like part of what Jane, uh, both of them really, but like, you know, Jane explicitly has been asking for is to not be the one making the decision, right? Yeah. Like to, to get to be a person and like being a person means you don't actually solve every problem. Sometimes you, uh, you are just a citizen of the place instead of like yeah. the person telling the director of Medea what to do. Yeah. Well, and also, yes, all of that throwing into the mix, you know, we've said many times before one of our points of entry for this was being inspired by world war one and mm -hmm. i mean this is true of all wars but i feel like that one is you know i don't know it's what we were thinking of but uh sort of the phenomenon of like one day the weight of the world is literally on your shoulders and the next day you're just some guy um, yeah yeah oh god that's a good connection totally yeah <laughs> and you just have to figure out how to deal with that Oh man, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So Jane and Sophie, just uh, just a couple of dudes in that way. Yeah. It it becomes personal again. It's not all political. It's just they're just two dudes. Yep. All right. Anthony asks, how did the relationship between Moreau and Jane change over the course of the seasons, or did you always know that they would end up being so important to each other? We kind of already answered this, but do you have anything else? Uh, you know, just that when we recorded the final episode with Moreau in it, episode uh, 32, um, we recorded with Tim and Tim just sort of stopped after we we did a take and was like, I really didn't think they would get here. 
And like, oh, I don't think they get here either. <laughs> but like, it's just, I, I'm genuinely very moved by their friendship. And like, you know, I've seen some people on Tumblr call them queer platonic partners. And I think, you know, that's also correct. Like these are yep. people who love each other and friendship is a love story that's just as important as the the other love story that we have uh, in this show. So, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And that was like the sort of... um jay and sophie moreau living together of it all that was like a spur of the moment like suggestion that molly made and i was like obviously (laughs) yeah uh also from anthony one of the last plot twists of the season was that agent blanc himself had undergone pasathea treatment during the war did you know that he had taken pasathea from the beginning of the show and why or was it added later on Added Uh, later on yeah so this was actually like, as we were, you know, working out what all of our endings were, we were talking through like, okay, well, where, what's Blanc's ending? Like, where do we want to yeah. leave Blanc with, after, you know, he's become like rightfully so despised. Uh, and we kept like, I was turning over in my head, like, here's a way for Jane to get the upper hand on him. And here's a way for him to have an ignominious end. And it just over and over. And then like, what, like, really the first thing that I hit on that like made me feel like oh no this is like that little like you know you're knocking on the wood with your little chisel and you're like oh this is like the actual vein that's going to split it open uh is he's also taken Pasithea and it wasn't a big political gambit of any kind it was just personal he's also a victim of the war right like horrible people are also like kind of in this big mess with you yeah I remember I remember like literally where I was sitting when we had that conversation because it (laughs) felt like it felt like the last revelation like between Mm -hmm. the two of us of the story. And it was so exciting because a like I immediately was excited to see what Colin would do with it. And then also it excited me because it felt the whole time we've already talked about Eleanor, but like the whole time it kind of felt like Eleanor and Blanc existed in a realm of not not like realist characters yeah not not to their detriment like it's a it's a cool thing <laughs> like don't get me wrong but uh wait can was... i be an english teacher for a second yeah uh the writer margot livesey has this idea in her book uh, the hidden machinery which is a really fantastic uh writing resource if you're a fiction writer of any kind um where she talks about flat versus round characters and how like you've got all these flat characters that like show up in Dickens and Jane Austen and all these things where like they're kind of two-dimensional they're meant to like be jokes or they're meant to be villains or they're just like okay here they are and they're like very you know cartoonish and then like the exciting parts like the opportunities you get with flat characters are like when do you let them become round yes like where's that little moment where like suddenly like you're looking at a three-dimensional person instead of a cartoon and I feel like uh, Blanc got to have that becoming round moment there yeah yeah and it also like it felt important to talk to to offer up an explanation not an excuse like Mm He took Pasithea, it's just another fact. Like, he's a victim of the war, it's just another fact. He could have been one way, he's another way. That's on him. Absolutely. Yeah. And then um, several people, almost everyone, asked (laughs) what it was that Blanc wanted to forget. Uh, 
So I know, I, I, I totally know, and I am not going to tell you because yeah. uh, I didn't tell you on purpose. <laughs> yeah. So, I, first of all, I, I do think like whatever you come up with is probably going to be worse than what I could tell you. Uh, yeah. And also, you know, it, it's uh, kind of silly, but like, I feel like we're kind of respecting his privacy and we're respecting Carla DeLuca's privacy by like yeah. not telling you. Like yeah. Dean and Sophie know these things. Maybe they shouldn't know these things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, other people. I feel comments. like Jane is never going to know what happened to Carla DeLuca because no. Sophie's never going to tell her and vice versa. Jane will never tell anyone about what happened. Which will Blanc. drive Sophie fucking bananas <laughs> about Agent Blanc. Because she, she's like, I'm respecting Carla DeLuca because Carla DeLuca is worthy of respect. But like that guy and Jane's like, you know what? This is high finance. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, regardless of like the, the how, what you think of the person in question, I feel like, you know, sharing the details of other people's trauma is uh, an upsetting thing to do and jane has done that but she always anonymizes it she never says yeah yeah, um, yeah except for sophie sophie unfortunately just has to live with everyone knowing the details of her trauma yes um okay we have a tongue-in-cheek question from cloudy regarding agent cullen first of all how dare you <laughs> um and then Many people, probably the equal number of people as asked what Blanc wanted to forget, have asked what was the message that Cullen was taking to Jane from Reina Valencia when he died. Um, I mean, okay, I, I, I don't think it's that deep. Like, it's just Reina I On the one hand, it's whatever you think it is. On the other hand, I think it's Reina Valencia just being like, you know, here's an offer, come with us, blah, blah, blah. It's exactly Which Jane that. would have said no to anyway, so... I think like, you know, when I, what I think was in the letter was, uh, here's an offer to come back to Cassandra because we'll send a team out to, to look for Sophie, right? Yeah. Like I think that was going to be the carrot she was going to dangle out. Uh, and I do think Jane would have been tempted by that, but I also think she would have turned it down. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first of all, how dare we? Uh, when we decided to kill him, that was another moment of excitement between the two of us. <laughs> true, we were so Because <laughs> we hadn't really killed anyone yet. And um, he was far and away one of the most beloved characters by us and also by you. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, we we also like needed a catalyst for Sophie to change her mind. And it, this yep. felt like the perfect catalyst for that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No. So no, totally. Thank you for that. Because Sophie went off and like she's having her own thoughts with the others. And like, I do think there's a universe in which she would have reached the same conclusion without Agent Cullen's death. But like Agent Cullen's death was really fast tracking the whole situation in a big way, for sure. Yeah. Well, his death and Reina Valencia's reaction to it. <laughs> which is, you know, again, World War One, right? Yep. Yep. Um, Cloudy asks, did Steptoe ever find out about Linda? If so, how did she react? And Becca Terrier also asks, uh, does human Linda Steptoe ever meet other Linda Steptoe? And how often do people mistake human Linda for other Linda? I don't think they ever meet because I don't think Linda ever comes down. Like, I think she stays on her spaceship and she stays in conference rooms and then she leaves and goes back to Earth. Um, 
but does Steptoe ever lie down about Linda? For fucking sure. It's <laughs> all over the news. How could she miss not it? thrilled. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the discomfort of knowing that like a coworker you didn't particularly like from a couple jobs ago still thinks about you. And then also like <laughs> that's uncomfortable enough. And then also that you're you're now the face of like human alien interaction. <laughs> totally. Totally. She's just, and like we've said before, Linda is just, I mean, Steptoe, well, and Linda, Steptoe is just trying to live. Like she's just doing a job. In my opinion, she's the most just doing a job person of this entire enterprise. Like (laughs) it would gall her to have this, you know, experience. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Lacey. In Eleanor Lopez's voice, quote, during her sojourn with the others, did Lieutenant Sophie Green have intimate relations with the other known as Omicron, end quote, or did Sophie and Omicron fuck? I'm going to leave that up to you all. <laughs> um, okay, moving on. I can say, okay, <laughs> I, I don't think they did, but I'm not ruling it out. Yeah, that's that's a like fan fiction question. Answer that yourselves. Did they yes. fuck? Did not fuck. Your ask your heart what's true. I'm in um, favor of it for the record as a as a fan fiction uh, speculation, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it happened in canon. Um, Barbara asks, "What were the most fun, challenging, and or surprising aspects of creating this season?" And Abby asks similarly, "Favorite moments of creating season three? And then Lula asks also, what were your favorite moments in season three to record? And then also Becca Terrier asks, what was your favorite scene to record this season to write? And Barbara asks, what scene or line from this season are you proudest of writing and or performing? So like, okay, let's just hit some things. Yeah. Uh, I will say my favorite uh, episode to write was absolutely Fix It because that was just getting to write a bunch of Jane monologues just like rolling around like a dog in mud but like it's me rolling around in grief uh, which is one of my favorite things as a writer to do I really love writing uh those kinds of like character denial and then like the not like she half breaks down and then she like backs away and then she breaks down again and backs away but like less far this time like yeah that's just fun for me I just had fun with that my favorite was killing agent Cullen and in the same episode so borrowed time was my favorite episode um to write and also everything about it uh because i also enjoyed writing the blanc cullen conversation i (laughs) love the blanc says did you want to fuck her (laughs) i i i think like the the business about like which one of them has the room with the better view also just feels great (laughs) um and then, you, you know, a runner up for me has got to be uh, Josephine Crooks and Agent Cullen in the bar. I, I yes. God, that was that also game. fun. That was like, Jesus Christ, what an episode. Yeah. Okay. But to act. Okay. So is your favorite, was your favorite to act fix it? No, it's always more exciting to act with somebody else than to act by yourself. So I'm going to say uh, my Favorite to act is probably you and I got to record the uh, entirety of episode 33 in person. And like, yes, getting to it was really an accident of timing that we got to do that. But it was so perfect because we had done that with um, episode, 
uh, 11 in season one. And it was just like, oh, we get to like, let Jane and Sophie like walk off stage together. And that was really wonderful. Yes. And neither of us had to have a hysterectomy the next day. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Which if you're just, if you're new here for whatever reason, oh my God, why are you new here? Listen to other things first. (laughs) But uh, we recorded episode 11 in person and then literally the next day Molly had surgery. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But you know, uh, that was the best thing that happened that weekend. Yeah. The show must go on. Um, um, okay. Abby asks, uh, how long have you known that the final catalyst for Jane and Sophie to be together would be Sophie telling the <laughs> queen to fuck off? I've actually been thinking about this ever since I saw this question, and I'm not exactly sure. Um, excuse me. I feel like I need to burp. Uh, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure when we started going in that direction. Yeah, I think like we knew... From, like, pretty early, like, certainly, like, mid-season two, that, like, Sophie was going to quit her job. Yes. Uh, And we were trying to, like, you know, find ways to, like, make that really painful for her and also to, like, make it happen, right? Yes. putting her on that course. And when you think about, like, you know, all of the things that Jane has to, like, put aside when she, like, is in a relationship with Sophie, like, Sophie's job is one of the biggest things yeah and so her telling the queen to fuck off specifically i think came pretty late in like just writing that dialogue but the the big picture of like when sophie quits like jane is gonna like be able to like let her guard down fundamentally i think has been there for a while uh so these questions are themed around the ending um finley asks how as writers have you handled the show ending has it been difficult to say goodbye to the setting and the characters oh god yes and no i think Mm -hmm. for me the fact that i'm so satisfied with how we ended it means no like it's easy to sort of be satisfied with where we left it and it's very easy to be satisfied with never having to edit another episode um (laughs) So that, on the one hand, yes, but also, like, it's been such a huge part of our lives. And, like, I was saying to Molly a couple weeks ago, like, literally the rhythm of my week for, like, over three years at this point. So, yeah, it's wild. Totally. No, same. I, like, I'm very relieved that we've finished it. Like, I am a, as uh, Jackie knows, and probably a lot of you know, too, by now, listeners, like, I am, like, a, a like a perennial flake like I start things I don't finish them I like uh was pretty worried at like the the beginning of this like oh no what happens when I inevitably flake and we don't finish it (laughs) uh, Um, I was not gonna let that happen very very happy that we're done and I'm also sad to say goodbye to uh to the story and also like listeners I'm sad to say goodbye to you like it's been like an absolute joy to be able to have this relationship with an audience like I've gone back to writing uh you know fiction since uh the podcast ended and it feels different to write things and no I'm not going to show it to people for like a long time yes. <laughs> uh I I will definitely miss that um so in 
prompting this like link to this form that you sent the questions into, I had some sample questions on Twitter and Abby wants us to answer our sample questions. One of which is what's the hardest thing about wrapping up a story like this? Oh man. I mean, we, after this experience have had so much more respect for something we previously had no respect for, <laughs> which was in like network TV shows where they have like 20 plus episodes a year when writers apparently fucking forget like key character details. I was always like, what the hell is wrong with you? Do you not care? And I know now, (laughs) I know now. (laughs) It is wild. Okay. Because like, as the writer, like you're reading every episode multiple times, but you're not going back and reading the old stuff the way that fans are right like when i'm like the fan of a show i like will watch or listen or you know read like the old episodes that are my favorites like as many times as i feel like which is a lot because i'm full of love but like as the writer that happens in the process and there's not backtracking built in in the same way and that means it's so easy to forget small continuity things it is so easy to forget like oh like when i'm drafting i'll like say ah i made up a guy and then like i'll come back like a couple episodes later and i'll be like oh i need a guy let me make up a guy i'll forget i made up the guy i needed like three episodes ago yeah like yeah absolutely i uh i think my favorite of those that i did was I separately named Sophie's mom's new husband, George, like around the same time that you were naming Moreau George. And then after Moreau became more of a character, I was like, great, I can never refer to Sophie's mom's husband by name again. So I didn't. (laughs) That's fantastic. Uh, Oh, wait, can I just say something random about Moreau? Yes, Um, of course. This is, I think, like, last Q&A, someone asked me, like, why did you name Dr. Moreau Dr. Moreau if it wasn't a reference to the island of Dr. Moreau? And I think I answered at the time, like, well, ha ha ha, it's just because I liked the name, not, you know, I know it's a reference to a short story, but, like, (laughs) listeners, I, like, didn't actually remember what the island of Dr. Moreau was about. I was confusing it with like the greatest hunt or whatever. I thought it was about a guy who has an island where he like hunts <laughs> man for for sport. It's not. It's about a doctor who sews animals together and then tells them that they're humans. That's so freaking relevant to the themes of Pasithea. I should have used that if only I had like actually read the Island of Doctor Moreau. I absolutely thought it was about like an island where like a guy hunted people for sport. So that's not yep. me. Yep. I the thing that I confuse it with is like the cabinet of Dr. K- Caligari. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Is it me or you? It's you. Becca Terrier asks, how difficult was it to figure out where and how you wanted to end the series? Did you already have the ending in mind or did that come as you worked your way through season three? Oh gosh, we already answered this. Moving on. <laughs> uh abby asks where do you see sophie and jane in 10 years and similarly Lacey asks where do you imagine the characters being in five years or 10 oh i love that um a this okay uh, this seems like the work of fan fiction writers also mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so start your engines hit it i you will never find my handle i will never <laughs> share my handle but i am a post-canon bitch so <laughs> I would appreciate it if anyone wrote this. Um, ooh. Okay. 
with the I, I absolutely agree this feels like anyone's imaginary playground right like yeah. have fun where you imagine they are uh I am going to just say my own personal headcanon for what I think happens with Jane and Sophie in 10 years I think they have a kid Ooh, yes okay yeah, yeah I could see that yep which of them would be okay? No, I'm gonna ask and answered, Your Honor. Um, Sophie would. What? <laughs> Sorry, I'm turning the mic around. Um, turned on caps lock. Fine. Uh, Sophie would be more freaked out about that, I believe. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think Jane would actually be like freaked out at first, and then she would be like Zen because Sophie would be so freaked out. Yes. Um, I think. So you answered 10 years. I'm going to answer five years. I feel like in five years, Sophie will have finally figured out what she's supposed to be doing. Mm. Because I feel like one of the things that we intentionally sort of left open, not in like a huge way, the door is only slightly open, but like, I think Sophie has like a right now she's in sort of like the honeymoon phase of how she feels about like all the decisions she's made and moving to Medea and stuff. But I genuinely feel like she's kind of in for like a hard road. Also, this is like her first time like sitting still for 10 fucking seconds since like the war started. And so I just feel like she's kind of in for a tough time. But I think in five years she'll start to like have some answers to some big questions which is nice i'm happy for her for that absolutely oh sophie i love that (laughs) um okay janine asks do you think sophie will ever get to fly again maybe for the medians no (laughs) (laughs) um dh asks Say you look a few decades into the future and you're doing a Picard-style return to the franchise. Uh, what do you think you'd explore further and what would you leave alone? First of all, dude, I love this question. This yeah, so I know. We're being dead silent because it's such a good question. <laughs> um, I would definitely return to the others. I think mm-hmm. uh, more, like, that feels very, very ripe for... Um, further exploration yeah and then i think along different but sort of like structurally related lines i feel like in a picard style return we would get to see like how's medea doing like Mm-hmm. With kind of the PSA eating everyone around it, like ha- have there been other conflicts? Like what yeah. happens? Um Ooh, like maybe like some kind of like pose, like I don't know, like some kind of alliance between the others and Medea, or like some kind of like me- like maybe the next director of Medea isn't as like copacetic about the end of democracy as yeah. um, <laughs> the director diaz is and like you know there's there's some political drama there i could see that happening yeah oh maybe more edgar and stuff i could see that. yes oh yeah totally because they're just like a red herring um Mm -hmm. like a true red herring in that we never intended to do anything with them (laughs) but uh (laughs) um i think what i'd leave alone i would leave jane and sophie alone i think like they have become normal people and I would not uh, unnormal people them for this. Yeah, yeah. I would do that thing that like 
drive me wild in every possible sense of like that phrase where there's a sequel where like the people you really care about show up for like two episodes and you <laughs> see them at a dinner party or something and then you don't see them again and it drives me fucking insane in a great way <laughs> yeah absolutely i think like moreau could be a recurring character though that'd be fun yes 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 <laughs> um okay okay well Barbara asks, um, do you have any epilogue headcanons that you want to share for what you think or hope happens to any of the characters after the show ends or after the end of a passage? Also, speaking of a passage, I ask again, how dare you? We're going to get to a passage <laughs> later as kind of like <laughs> a bonus at the end of this already very long Q&A. But, um, well, no. I mean, I think what we just said kind of serves as my on-the-fly epilogue headcanon, but... Um, Sort of to Deej's point and to Barbara's point, like I feel I feel like a lot of good, like productive feelings about Carla DeLuca. Like yeah. I think I've said this before in a QA, actually, but like if I were writing fan fiction, she's who I would be writing about right now. Um yeah. I don't know. I don't I I and I don't have like a particular headcanon. I think like she also has fish to fry, but I think she also has like a target in sight when we last yeah. see her. So I feel like, like she has she has got business and she's attending to it. Absolutely, um, and I think uh, you know, I actually I don't want to uh, answer whether Riley uh, takes the the no. care. Oh my god! If you did, I would shut this down. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know epilogue headcanons for what i i think or hope happens to any of the characters after the show ends uh whatever happens uh rowley keeps that cat that's that's key <laughs> um barbara asks what is eleanor lopez gonna do next uh something horrific <laughs> space cocaine <laughs> like she wasn't already doing that <laughs> Yeah, no, something very morally dubious and, uh, you know, just that, like, you know, true crime, like, the, a really trashy true crime documentary. Oh, my God, she's going to make the space equivalent of that Cecil Hotel Netflix documentary. <laughs> Where it, like, accidentally winds up somewhere, like, actually, like, morally complicated and interesting in, like, the last five <laughs> minutes and everything leading up to that moment is just total <laughs> garbage um yeah yeah exactly uh also barbara does agent blanc eventually die the horrible painful death he so richly deserves um so i feel like as jane and sophie have become normal people the fate that i want for blanc is for jane to never think about him again yeah uh, or you know I don't, uh, that's, she will think about him from time to time because of course she will, but yeah. like she is not going to ever see him again. And yeah. uh, to the extent that she can control it, she's also not going to hear about him again. Yeah. Uh, so kind of, you know, I know this is like a point of view locked perspective, but like if he does a horrible, painful death, she's never going to know about it and uh, love that for her. Yeah, totally. Um, and I feel like, for Agent Blanc at this point, any death would be a horrible, painful death. 
whether it's like dying in bed painlessly at 90 or like getting crushed by a semi like because he just never wants to die and he's never going to be happy yeah that guy does not have a bunch of loved ones that are going to be uh around his bedside or at his funeral so no um uh, okay barbara asks all caps i mean the previous ones were also caps but uh <laughs> do jane and sophie and george ever get a cat <laughs> um and of becca asks relatedly last time i asked what jane and sophie would each name their cat if they had one now i pose the same question but for george moreau and josephine crooks if they each had a cat what would they name it uh I think Moreau is going to name Jane and Sophie and George's cat. <laughs> so it's whatever, uh, whatever Moreau thinks would be funny for a cat. What do you think? And it would not be pussy. Which no, is... sure not. Um, Josephine is allergic to cats, so she does not have a cat. She has a dog. She has an enormous dog, doesn't she? Yes. Like yes. a Newfoundland. Yes. It's bigger yes. than she is. Yes. Oh, but it's like a Newfoundland named like Precious. Oh, God, yes. Of course. With a pink <laughs> collar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think um, I okay. I do think uh, Moreau is going to name their cat after like a famous space scientist, though. So like a little cat named Oppenheimer or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and what's Josephine Crooks's dog's name actually? Barbie. <laughs> We're. As soon as, like, okay, literally, I told Jackie, I'm so excited to go see the Barbie movie, like, months ago. And, and I Jack- started cracking up, and I was like, <laughs> I am so excited to go see the Oppenheimer movie. Uh, and since then, we have if been... If you live under really- a rock, listeners, these films are coming out on the same day. Um, since and- then, we have been saying to each other, uh, which one of us is the Oppenheimer in this situation, <laughs> which is the Barbie. Because always, at any given point, one of us is the Oppenheimer, wants to go, like, darker, and one of us is the Barbie, wants everything to work out. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. Um, Red New Clever Potato and Remember asks, and we sort of already addressed this, but once life is stable or normal for Sophie and Jane, do you see them needing time or making time to process this grand adventure? Uh, well, I don't know if they're going to make that time, but they're going to need that time. <laughs> The time will need to be taken, that's for sure. This actually, without saying what it was, but like the, not the original ending that we wrote, but the second ending that we wrote and then did Mm -hmm. not go with, sort of, I think more directly addressed like all that's kind of left between them. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think like, yeah, they they still have a lot to deal with and like reconcile but it's going to work out. They're going to be fine. I think, yeah, they've got work to do like on themselves and they have work to do like with each other and for each other. And yeah. it's going to be painful and it's going to work. You yeah. Because yeah. they want it to. Yeah. Uh, Lula asks, do you think Omicron visits Medea post finale slash what do people's travels look like? Similarly, Run You Clever Potato and Remember uh, says, independent of the story, I'm curious if the others will be studying human culture, from simple intercepting entertainment emissions to developing some sort of neurocontrol to allow them to take a static form in order to live among humans. Um, I do not think that Omicron visits Medea. I feel like Omicron is grounded. Yeah. Um, and also, if Omicron did visit, Omicron would not visit Medea because Medea does not have a treaty with the others 
Um, I, I bet they're part of it, even though it's mostly with the PSA, but they were. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the others aren't like, yeah. oh, hey, guess what? Looks like it's <laughs> on the menu. Boys. <laughs> um yeah i uh i also think like you know thematically ian's voice departed the show when omicron left and like you know from a narrative standpoint that's because evelyn has to leave the show for jane and sophie to like really move on from that loss and I think like if Omicron, Omicron can't come back, even if he could come back literally, he can't come back narratively because um, Evelyn is dead. And so Omicron and Sophie have said their goodbyes and that's kind of all. Yeah. And then I think on a more Watsonian level, take a <laughs> shot. Um, Omicron's guardian is never letting Omicron out of his sight again. Because it's sort of like the equivalent of like Omicron went on a gap year and like got attacked by a shark and like lost a limb or something. Absolutely. He's at home forever now. (laughs) That's so exactly the case. Wait, I just thought of another epilogue for a character because I think Omicron's space boyfriend who went on that deep space mission comes back and he and Omicron get to tenderly reunite back on Earth. I completely agree, and I agree so hardcore that I am now remembering that that is the answer that I came up with two days ago when I was looking at these questions. <laughs> Great ones. Yep. <laughs> um, and then on the question of whether the others will ever, like, study human culture, I think sort of from a, like, anthropological perspective, but I don't think that leads necessarily in the near future at least to them trying to like integrate in any meaningful way yeah i think like uh never say never like they're they're civilizations that are now in contact uh who knows what will happen down the line but yeah right now i think the others really view humans as like very 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 primitive and therefore uh it would be difficult for the like they're willing to go oh okay we're gonna sort of put you under this protected species umbrella yeah. but like they're i don't think that they're quite as curious about humans as humans are about them yeah yeah run you clever potato and remember asks if uh Pasithea powder is a powder is it a crystal structure how do you get it into your body um and then also uh the show, the story showed its therapeutic use. Do you see a future where microdosing is an accepted option for PTSD, just like psychedelic mushrooms, et cetera, are in our world? Uh, to answer the first part, uh, I'm not a scientist. I just play one on TV. Um, <laughs> but uh, several of uh, my good friends uh, do chemistry. Uh, Ian Andrews actually does chemistry and Annie Moriando did uh, chemistry stuff in undergrad. And uh, I remember asking them about Pasithea stuff. Like whenever I had a science question that was like vaguely chemistry related, I would be like, hey, what jargony words can I use? (laughs) What would make sense? And they answered this at some point, but it's like buried in a Facebook chat and I don't know that I could find it again. But like everything you hear was backed up by people who have done chemistry things before. That's what I can tell you. (laughs) As to ever... If it as to whether there's like an acceptable threshold of use in the future, I feel like we'll just have to ask Carla DeLuca and see what progress she makes on her one woman crusade at this point. 
Mm, yeah, exactly. Abby asks, what's next for Eleanor Lopez and Stevie? Oh, it's Stevie. I forgot to group this with how that question was asked earlier. Uh, Stevie quits. <laughs> Love that journey for them. <laughs> Phenomenal. And then Abby asks, Lupe, what happened to her slash her family? Did she just go her separate ways from Jane or is there some kind of extra tragedy there? I think they just went their separate ways. I think yeah. uh, she and Jane had a pretty normal breakup that was still the kind of breakup that left a lot of sore feelings behind. And yeah. during the war, she and Jane were not in contact because they'd had a pretty unfriendly breakup. And then she got married she like ended up with a kid and she sees her ex on the news and she feels bad, but she doesn't reach out. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God. This brings us into extras and headcanons and you get to ask the question on everyone's lips. Uh, Aya asks what pet names do Sophie and Jane use for each other? I say what and not if given the evidence of Evan Twinkletoe's class. Uh, similarly, Abby asks, do Sophie and Jane use any terms of endearment or pet names for each other? What ones do they like and hate? Uh, so in the original, the, the second draft of the final scene, we had a term of endearment in there and it wound up getting cut. We um, accidentally edited it out. And that's the only <laughs> thing to this day that I regret editing out. Uh, the choice that we made is we think Jane would call Sophie a baby. Yeah. Um, and Sophie likes it when Jane says it. Yeah. And what ones do they hate? I mean, I think Sophie hates babe, but if Jane called her babe, she would be like, ooh. <laughs> oh that's sweet i think like jane would not at all mind being called babe but i don't know if sophie's a throw babe on someone person no i think actually sophie is so see, see as aya says see twinkle toes like i think sophie's one for like unconventional pet names um yeah. so it wouldn't be some it wouldn't be like the roster but so that would be like in casual so like on the street in front of other people like in passing like past the salt yeah so you know whatever but i feel like in sort of like more private intimate moments i feel like she's like a she's like a sweetheart person oh i love that yeah i think uh jane responds well to most pet names but like you know anything very saccharine like uh you know not that Sophie would, but like I'm thinking of a uh, chitty chitty bang bang. You're my little chuchi face. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I don't think they're ever gonna be comfortable with that level of stuff. I mean, okay, Sophie would a hundred percent say that, but like and Jane would trolling, flinch. trolling. Jane would like look at you like a disdainful cat. <laughs> oh, I also think Sophie would say honey. And I only say that because, like, there's a video that exists of me getting chased by goats. And, like, I just default to calling them that. And <laughs> if you had asked me before I started getting chased by goats what I would, like, what terms of endearment I would use, I would be like, I have no answer for you. But, like, yeah. We, so we actually made a list of things for Jane to call Sophie. We were like, okay, Molly, like, try on, like, honey, try on, darling, try on, like, beloved, all of these ones. <laughs> and, like, 
they all sounded like unnatural and fake until we got to baby. And then it was like, yeah. oh, actually, like. Which was why when we started doing it, I was like, anything but baby. <laughs> <laughs> Jane's Jane's just a pull out baby person. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, okay. Cloudy asks, ooh, how common are interplanetary wars like the Azulian conflict? Was the scale of that war unusual for the era? I think, yeah. I think uh, the PSA has uh, created, like, you know, a little bit like the USA. Like, there are interstate conflicts, but they're not violent conflicts. Yeah. Uh, the violence happens politically. Um, yeah. And there are, there were, before all of this podcast nonsense, more independent planets where I think wars were more common. Yeah. Uh, but we know it's quite uncommon for Cassandra and uh, Medea within the last couple hundred years, uh, but it was common in the past, right? There's yeah. a reason uh, Medea has been exporting weapons to other places yes. uh, for a while. And so the scale of the war is unusual for um, the this particular place within this era. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's also like with the PSA sort of being the dominant force in this galaxy, I feel like there's like a there's the factor of like who's writing the history here because it's sort of like mm. did all of those planets join the PSA peacefully or not? Yeah. Did they all like are things uh, described as wars or are they described as like you know uh, uprisings or yes. you know yeah etc. Yeah. Uh, Lula asks, were there any cities you were imagining when you described Santa Pedra and the cities on Medea Tyrannus etc. Yeah, Santa Pedra. Um, you know, you write what you know, uh, but you also write, uh, you know, when I take things from my life and I put them into fiction, it's partially because it's like, oh, I just need a place. Let me like put in a place that I know. But it's also like, okay, yeah, I'm the writer. Like, it's all kind of coming from my brain. And so like, obviously, like the remix that's happening is like a little bit from my life. Uh, I was born in San Pedro, California, and uh, my uh, my aunt, my tia's name is uh, Viola, and so Santa Viola is the other city that we see on Cassandra. Um, and I was kind of picturing like a a you know prettier version of like the San Pedro slash Los Angeles that I grew up in for Santa Pedro. And then with Cassandra and Medea in general, we were really operating on an Athens Sparta dichotomy, and so when we were describing Medea. I at least was drawing pretty heavily from how mea culpa, listen, we all have flaws, but how um, on my favorite murder, a show I listened to, Karen Kilgariff describes Sacramento, a place I've never been to, <laughs> but she describes it as being like boring, flat, hot. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that, you know, okay, so that's also, uh, that's Nemea, right? We're talking about Nemea, Sacramento? Yes, yes. Um, Guadalupe, I think, is also LA, but in the way that like... Uh, but for people who don't know, because I was just realized that's confusing. San Pedro is like its own city, but it's also the port of Los Angeles. So it's like kind mm. of part of the broader Los Angeles area. Um, it's like the Gotham metropolis thing. Like Guadalupe is like the parts of LA I personally really don't like. And uh, Santa Pedro are the parts of LA that like I have a lot of nostalgia and fondness for with like, you know, it's older than Los Angeles is. So like the architecture is different, but Yeah. Um, Janine asks, what did you envision Cassandra's style to be? And how is it that Jane doesn't follow it like Sophie does? <laughs> uh, 
I don't know if I envision. I don't think I have like a set idea of what Cassandran style looks like. Um, yeah, it being an audio medium means I also didn't really devote brain space to what they would be wearing specifically. But like, yeah. I think the vibes of why Jane doesn't follow it are like Jane is Jane is like the kind of uh, young person who is. Uh, Jane is the kind of young woman specifically um, who has kind of internalized the idea that people want her to think about her looks and she is uh, she really wants to be treated seriously and just think about science all the time. And so she like kind of on purpose disdained like uh, fashion and like following fashion and things like that. I also think she's the kind of person who hyper focuses and does not notice for like, you know, three days if there's mustard on like the collar of her shirt. Yeah. Um, And Sophie... Sophie like figured out pretty early on that people thought she was hot and like decided to play into that by choosing outfits that like followed various trends one of the things that was fun to do with Sophie or with with uh, both Sophie and Jade is like seeing their relationship to close over the course of the show though because like yes oh my god I want to it's down here somewhere but I'll just jump ahead to it I don't I'll give you a shout out whoever asked this later on but like someone asked uh the garments that like Sophie is wearing on earth with the others <laughs> like what what's up with those <laughs> and the way I like I intentionally was envisioning them like Eileen Fisher like <laughs> Eileen Fisher if you're not familiar is like a pretty high-end like sweater and like dress it's a women's clothing store that like I own some sweaters from but, like, it's kind of overpriced and everything is, like, a little shapeless. And, like, <laughs> everything is, like, monochrome. Like, the silhouettes really just kind of look like, um, what's Luke Skywalker's home planet? <laughs> like, that's, <a> big... <laughs> that's it. So, yeah, that's what Sophie's wearing with the others. Love it. Love it. Uh, Finley asks, if you could give more attention to one secondary or minor character, who would you focus on or feature more? Uh, and Abby, similarly, wants us to answer our own sample question. What character most deserves a spinoff? Uh, similarly, Lacey asks, would you ever consider making an Evelyn prequel episode or any other spinoff materials? And Cloudy asks, what other characters would you most want to write a spinoff or limited series about, especially if you could set it pre or post canon? I'm going to stick with Carla DeLuca. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Carla DeLuca is a pretty good one. Um, what about uh, that one? I think I could do like a that one Lieutenant Rose who's eaten by the others uh, that we hear about. Yes! Oh my Plus, God, Paige. More, yes. More yes. Lieutenant Rose. I think that'd be fun. That would be super fun. Um, uh, Peter asks, I literally need to know every piece of information about Moreau and Omicron or I'll die. Hyperbole. Thank you for letting us know that it's hyperbole, Peter. And then Cloudy asks, what's up with the Agarins? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay, let's pick. Well, okay, I think we actually did M Moreau and Omicron. Um, but wait, no, let's let's throw Lacey's question onto this pile. What's the tea on Moreau's old flame? Oh, um, you know, I I don't think there's a ton of tea, honestly. I think like they uh, they had a relationship. It was going pretty well, and then the war hit. And uh, my I, I forget if I put this into like a a Patreon bonus or if this was just in my head. But like in my head, um, she is a 
journalists. And so she got really caught up in the war because of her work as a journalist. Um, she is unlike Eleanor Lopez, like a real journalist. And so she was probably a war correspondent and uh, she had a fraught relationship with Moreau after the whole kid thing. And then like, she really like could not handle um, like being around her kid, especially after the war stuff. And I think Moreau took that really personally, which makes sense. Um, and then I'll just add on to Omicron's uh, future once and future boyfriend coming back safe and sound and them getting together and being happy forever. I feel like <laughs> Omicron does take over eventually as like the head of the seven families and does not totally turn it into socialism but definitely like dials down the oligarchy of it all with sophie's like remonstrances echoing in his head (laughs) (laughs) um and as far as what's up with the eggerans uh i'm gonna make a a 90s reference but i know there's some some people who remember the 90s listening (laughs) um do y'all remember uh, Animorphs and the Chi? And I think they were the Pemdalites. So, okay. The Pemdalite, I Okay, I'm probably remembering their name wrong, but whatever. They were like these aliens that were like big, happy puppies. They were all like golden retrievers, but like in the shape of aliens, they were very gentle and happy and innocent. And the Chi were these androids that they had created. And the Chi like were like the more manipulative like darker like could actually like have like uh moral ambiguity but like what they wanted was like to protect the pemdalites and i feel like uh my view of the eggerans is a little bit like the pemdalites like they're uh they're like peaceful so like not politically like engaged with humans in terms of conflict but also like i think their concerns are just not human concerns and so like the language barrier plus like the lack of like interest in doing stuff like trade or like the lack of interest in having communication as well as like the difficulty in making that communication has just made it like human pemdalite human egerin uh relations are pretty stalled because like oh they're they're busy thinking about their their golden retriever thoughts they're not doing yeah yeah politics um okay i think we've asked we've answered this already but i'm gonna ask anyway finley asks any facts about the characters that never fit into the story stuff like it being a fundamental but unspoken point of anders lee that he only wears pink socks or sophie's favorite play was the equivalent to cats basically trivia and then Barbara asks, are there any bits of character backstory or world building that didn't make it into the show that you want to share now? I can't think of anything. I also can't think of anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Josephine Crooks Fox, but y'all knew that. So. Josephine Crooks Fox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, rapid fire. Becca Terrier asks, which planet would you rather live on, Cassandra or Medea? Cassandra. Also Cassandra. Anon asks, knowing your shared Hannibal history, do you think Sophie and Jane would be Hannibal fans? Absolutely not. No. For different reasons. Uh, uh, this is yeah. rapid fire, so I'll make it quick, but I don't think Sophie has the attention span. Uh, Jane would be really upset about all of the HIPAA violations. <laughs> <laughs> um, Layla, uh, if you had to pick Marianne or Odysseus. Marianne. Um, I refuse to choose between my children. Layla, my God, why would you ask this? Um, I'm going to give a third Dark Horse answer in the interest of having an answer, though. Um, you all probably don't know this, but uh, 
Annie Moriando wrote a song about my hysterectomy. <laughs> um, this song, I believe, is on her band camp. Go find it. it. It's classic. It's called Dulcinea, which is my middle name. Uh, and it includes, okay, it's a song about me moving to Seattle during a pandemic and also having just had a hysterectomy. Uh, and so one of my favorite lyrics from it is... Um, Dulcinea, what they don't tell you about is sometimes what you leave is something you'll be better off without, which made me laugh so hard when I heard it the first time. And he's a genius. You played that for me the night before your hysterectomy when we recorded episode 11 and I screamed. It's so good. <laughs> um, Addison asks, will Sophie work as a rock star kindergarten teacher in Medea? No. No. <laughs> Addison also asks, what if I have a question about Pasithea powder maybe in the next six months? Could I still ask about it on Tumblr? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Addison asks, could there be any slice of life mini episodes in the future? Probably not, but never say never. Yeah. Uh, Janine asks, what did you all envision when coming up with the clothes? Oh, hey, yep. Janine. It was Janine. She asked <laughs> about it. The rustic, It's giving rustic chic. You're right, Janine. It is giving rustic chic. Eileen Fisher. <laughs> Uh, Lacey asks, do you think Jane will ever reconcile with her parents? Um, so I've got a Patreon bonus that I haven't uploaded yet for this month. If it's you getting are... uploaded today. <laughs> uploaded today. Um, is it a $5 or $10? I forget. It's a $10. Um, but, <laughs> but guys, if you join Patreon, we're not charging anymore. So just join Patreon. Join Patreon. We have to figure out what we're doing with that, but just join Patreon. It's fine. Uh, the longer answer, I think, is um, no, yes, kinda, because family relationships are fucking complicated. But like at this point, her real family is her chosen family. Yep. Lacey asks, why couldn't Sophie punch Blanc just once? Also, please tell me you saw this Tumblr audio edit in which Jane shoots Blanc and goes, tell me again how you got fired, because it makes me laugh every time. I missed that. That's great. I did not miss that. It was great. Uh, why couldn't Sophie punch Blanc just once? Because he is Jane's fish to fry and not Sophie's. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Cloudy asks, did the Allegros' kids get into a good college? Uh, absolutely, because they wrote about Jane and Sophie in their college. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and don't let anyone tell you that essays don't matter. Um <laughs> Lacey asks, how many Wolf 359 references did you slip into the series? Probably more than I noticed. <laughs> I don't know, man. I lost count. <laughs> uh, Lacey also asks, will you read all of the Pasithea fic now that the series is concluded? I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to have to search my feelings. I'm very excited and glad that it's there. We yes, haven't read it. And honestly, there ne we okay, so since it concluded, I've like looked at it and yeah. seen just how much of it there is and like what it is, and I'm very in favor of it. Um and I think there should be more of it. <laughs> no, totally in support of it being there, actually really excited and delighted and moved that it is there. Uh, and also, I think I'm feeling just some pressure about being a creator engaging with fandom in that way. I think I, I, I feel a little hesitant, but uh, yeah, I'm happy y'all are doing what you're doing. If I do read it, I'm never going to comment on it. Yeah, completely. Yep. So, so you know, <laughs> I say this as someone who's written stuff before where I had at the back of my head, I do wonder if a couple comments are from the creator of the thing. Um, 
remove that possibility from your brains. If we ever read it, we will not comment on it. Absolutely. Um, oh, wait, I asked a question. It's you. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Lacey, will the patron exclusives be uploaded to the Pasithea Powder website now that the show is over? We have not yet decided uh, what we're doing with that. But again, if you are listening and you join Patreon now, you will never be charged for anything. So. The next set of questions are about our future. Um, so Abby asks, what will you miss the most about making Pasadena powder? Oh God, so many things. I feel like instant gratification is a yeah. big one. It's, it's you, it's all of you listeners. You're what I'm going to miss the most. Um, uh, fiction, writing, short stories, novels, it's much lonelier and uh, I will miss all of the company. Yeah, I think like the speculation and like the the fan art. I mean, here's the nice thing, like people are going to keep finding it and listening to it and like so I don't think those things will go away anytime soon, but I realize that like you know, without sort of like the suspense of like an episode coming out, the immediacy will fade and I will miss that. Also, you know, as we continue to work on stuff, it's like, oh, we have to work on stuff that we don't get, like, you know, cheerleading immediately afterwards for. <laughs> yes. Um, well, so I think that's a good... So many people asked what we have coming up next and or what we're working on and or if we're working on another audio drama and or anything we want to tease or plug. Um, so there's many different answers to this question, my friends. Mm-hmm. Um we are we have been working together on screenplays since we met really yeah and uh we've been working more on those screenplays together we also have a novel in progress that we've been working on together and separately uh Jackie just finished a book of nonfiction essays and yep I just finished a book of short stories so a lot of books in our lives right now yes um We also, I don't, I mean, so Molly has a website. I have a website uh, on those websites and they're linked on our artist profiles on the Pasadena Powder website, uh, if you're curious. And um, linked there, you can find all our published work to date. Um, I think my links still work. Uh, (laughs) Let's hope. Yep. (laughs) Um. But, okay, wait, uh, what do we have coming up next? Uh, basically, just like, I think one thing that I would miss about making the Pasathea powder is working together, but we're continuing to work together. So, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, okay, so like, all right, God bless Lacey. Lacey gave us a lot of fucking questions. And that swear was like to emphasize my delight, not to, you know, it's, do anything else. Lacey, yeah. you're a star. Um, if you're like here for the standard Q&A, you can tune out now, but we're going to answer some (laughs) questions about the spinoff episode, A Passage. If you have not yet listened to A Passage, because I know some people will like go along and listen to the whole thing. And then they're like, I don't know, an AU episode, whatever. If you haven't listened to A Passage, tune out now. Goodbye. Love you very much. There will be spoilers for A Passage in our answers. Yep. Um, so the first question about A Passage is... Would the original Evelyn have agreed to brainwash Sophie in a passage? No. Absolutely not. Uh, 
I think, you know, one of the most fun things about this episode was getting to write Evelyn as not being Evelyn in a, a real way. Yeah. Um, and this is Jane's imagined Evelyn, uh, who loves Sophie in a different way than we know the real Evelyn loved Sophie, uh, and who also is literally chemically going to agree with Jane, uh, not like agree with Jane the way Sophie has to agree with Jane, but like he's going to agree with Jane's broader philosophy on things because Jane fundamentally thinks her friend probably agrees with her about stuff like this. Yeah. And uh, I think the real Evelyn absolutely wouldn't have done that. Yeah, absolutely. Not a chance. Um, does Sophie ever get the cure in a passage or is the cure now off the table without the Moreau Jane dream team? I think it's off the table. It's off the table. Cure never gets invented. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, good that Sophie is separated from them because that would come up and it would just be like carnage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would Sophie have ever met Moreau in a passage at you? And uh, how do you imagine that meeting would go? Oh, God. I mean, I, this is a great question. I, I think it's unlikely that they would meet. But for the sake of argument, let's say they did. I <laughs> I do not, I cannot imagine any universe in which that meeting would go at all well. <laughs> I think it goes quite badly for everyone involved. I feel like if they did meet, it would be at um, whatever the like non-other, non-Pasithea cure version of the summit is. Yeah, yeah. Because Moreau's like still related to director Diaz and like Sophia's still a hot shot. Um, so I feel like there's a world in which there would have to be some reason for a summit and they would be at that and they might meet like a Josephine Cullen at the bar scenario. But if they, you know, found themselves trapped in an elevator together, I think uh, Sophie would say something like pleasantly neutral, uh, trying to be like, oh, we're stuck in this elevator together. And Moreau yeah. would respond with like absolutely caustic, just yes. like, you know, fuck you and the horse you rode in on yes i think there's also a chance that sophie would say something accidentally offensive oh yeah absolutely either way they then have a or intentionally offensive <laughs> yeah um oh it's my turn how would the universe of a passage progress considering that the lopez tapes might never have been released in the cure and thus the means to speak to the others might never have been made oh god does that mean jane jane doomed humanity in the au I think this kind of goes back to something we were talking about earlier, which is I'm not sure without like without humans flipping out, I don't think the others would actually be a big deal. Well, I think you're absolutely right. But I actually think the Lopez tapes, they, they wouldn't look like they do in canon. But I do think that Jane doesn't just like forget about everything that's happened over the course of season one when she runs off with Evelyn. I think like she 100% contacts Eleanor Lopez and that like she and... I don't know if Evelyn would get brought into it, but I think she that she won't have the actual tapes uh, in the same way. Like she's left, her, like she's her comms has been confiscated and everything. So she doesn't uh, have the ability to steal Sophie's now. But I think she absolutely just says like, here's my story. Here's everything that happens. Like if you want to know the rest of it, ask Sophie Green. And uh, Oh God, yes. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> uh, then it would be up to Sophie to decide how much information she was going to corroborate or not. Oh lord love a dog. But, um, it, that might not like make the entire galaxy 
like pay attention in the same way that the telescope tapes do because it's not literally all on tape. Um, you don't have Vivian Howe uh, sort of caught red-handed or Rena Valencia's voice, but you do have a pretty compelling story. It's still a big scoop for, for Ms. Lopez there. Yeah, yeah. Hi, editing Jackie here. Um, so the next questions are not about a passage, but they are from Lacey. Uh, we had them kind of stored at the bottom of the document, and we thought, you know, we might not have time to get to it. We prioritized other ones, but then we got here and we thought, fuck it, let's ball. So uh, this is kind of out of sequence for the overall theme that we had emerging here, but you know what? That's fine. It's all fine. Here we go. More questions. The next set of questions are about season one. Were Carla and Sophie being stalked by the others in season one? And if so, why? Um, not for any purpose. And I think stalked is a strong word. But like, yes, um, the dead friend that Sophie saw at karaoke was 100% an other. Um, they were just around. Like, yeah. it's sort of like how I wander into like piles of ants when I'm mowing my lawn. And I'm like, oh, this was a mistake. And I leave. Yeah. I also think for Carla, it's not others. It's PTSD. Right. Yes, 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 um, yes. And oh, Sophie, yes, thank you. Yes. Sophie sees an other on Tyrannus where, like, we know there will be a mass carnage event pretty shortly. So it's like, that was, you know, oh, I'm I'm in here. It's a bunch of Happy Meals running around. I'm going to, I'm going to eat some food later. Right. Yeah. But you're right. The, so you see them too is not anything other than a brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what happened to Amira? Was she one of the first civilian casualties? Um, let's say yes. I don't have a sort of like set thing. It's just like she's dead because of war. <laughs> yeah. She's definitely one of the first people Jane and Sophie personally knew who died. Yes. Yes. Um, why was Costa's death faked by crashing a shuttle into Santa Pedra's cathedral? Why did the Cassandra government think that was a good idea? Don't ask questions! Oh my god! <laughs> uh, is Dr. Esmond Glass related to Evelyn? Uh, he's related to Seymour Glass. <laughs> Did the Medeans get the info about what Jane rambled about in the bathroom in season one from the Lopez tapes? Because I kept wondering, did they bug her and that's how they got the info? Uh, yeah, I think it was from the Lopez tapes. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. they probably could have bugged her. In fact, I'd be surprised if she wasn't bugged for some portion of season one, but yeah. like it came out in the Lopez tapes anyway. So yeah. Yeah. ultimately irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, can the Egerins and the others influence dreams? Because Sophie had some very strange ones after encountering both. Um, good question. Yes. I don't think it's like, can they influence dreams in like a straightforward way? But I feel like, so... I think it's also hard to untease with Sophie. Like, I think she's having weird dreams because she's also, like, picking away at her memory. And, like, she's coming up against, like, a very literal, like, wall in her memory. And, like, yeah. the things that Jane is saying are, like, creating chinks in the wall before she even gets the cure. And so I think that's the primary reason for the weird dreams. Yeah. Um, but then also I think, like... Yeah, it's just kind of like some mind-bending shit is happening around her. So I don't think they have like a function of like influencing dreams, but yeah, it's all in the soup. Yeah, floating around in the miasma. Yeah. Uh, 
Maybe I imagined it, but it seemed like Omicron wasn't thrilled with Jane when he said goodbye to her. Uh, did he not like Jane did her treatment of subject Theta or because of Sophie's attachment to her or both? Uh, I don't think he's thrilled because he's being held captive. Like, I don't think he likes Sophie at that point. <laughs> like, yeah. um, But like, because he is formed from Sophie's brain, right? Uh I don't think uh, I don't think that he's sympathetic to Jane in the way that like the passage Evelyn is sympathetic to Jane. Like he's um, he's got like a a different relationship with like someone who he now has like full autonomy over himself, and he's like, oh, that lady is gonna be weirdly attached to me, and also I like can judge like my feelings about her with more distance than like yes. just having lived the reality of having been in Sophie's pocket for yes yes yeah so he's both influenced by like the lens of Sophie's Evelyn but yeah. since he has received the cure he is also like an autonomous being who can be like a little resentful about the situation he's in as a being other than Evelyn absolutely <laughs> yeah um on to season three questions. What was our royal wilf Valencia thinking when she had Cassandra join the PSA? You know, I think she was thinking, uh, this is how we this is how we win. And honestly, she's not really wrong. Like, this is uh probably like the best way for Cassandra to protect itself against Medea forever. Yeah. Um and also I think she made a really hard decision about like sacrificing her own autonomy that she doesn't love uh yeah. that she like really doesn't love a couple episodes later but um yeah she i think it's like both spite and like giving up frankly yeah yes yeah i think i'd add on to that like um i i think she's like avoiding a potential like romanoff situation <laughs> by sort of like doing this on her own terms as opposed to sort of like having the issue forced at some point in the future because like agent cullen she can also see the writing on the wall like yeah, completely uh and the other war seems like a good way to go out on her own terms and in a way that still like gives her an advantage especially one over you know the people who did uh kill her husband uh yep. probably so yep why were the other Janes silent? Were they side-eyeing other Anna hard as a monster fucker and not wanting to give Sophie any ideas? God, I love that reading. That's so funny. <laughs> it's too <laughs> funny. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I love that. Um, no, they're silent because uh, Sophie feels so much guilt and like doesn't, like can't even like conceive of what jane would say to her and so mm -hmm. and these are not others who have received the cure so like they are jane they're yeah. not really thinking about other anna as a monster fucker which they would be capable of if they had taken the cure uh so yeah absolutely yep um pass the prom queen is this why lily gilder is a bad person <laughs> because she takes sensitive topics and uses them as inspiration for her hit summer album also, was Marianne a stealth reference to Sophie and Jane in universe, since presumably Gilder listened to the Lopez tapes? I don't think so. That yeah. that's for the latter question. Um, yeah, I think uh, 
Marianne is a classic example of the singer wrote it about their own personal situation. And then when you hear it, you're like, oh, no, this applies to my totally different situation. Yes, yes. Um, and then if if Lily Gilder is a bad person for taking sensitive topics and using them as her inspiration for her hit summer album, then we are also bad people. Because <laughs> if you heard anything what we were just saying about World War One, <laughs> <laughs> so true. God, uh, which you know, uh, let, uh, let she among us who hasn't used a real life situation as inspiration for your your hit summer album, cast the first down. Um, no, I think Lily Gilder is a bad person for you know Amanda Palmer dubious reasons yeah. i think she's made some bad comments i think she's written some poems that didn't go over well yeah. <laughs> well, uh, also, this is not a question here by the way this is but i just, cloudy has asked this question rhetorically on tumblr a couple times but hot to trot the reality <laughs> show that eleanor lopez is covering um and a member of a contestant of whom lily gilder starts dating hot to trot is just like Love Island, like love is blind. Yes. It's all those. All of them. <laughs> um, general questions. What exactly is Asuline? What does it do? And why did Medea want it badly enough to assassinate Aurelio and start a war? Also, what are Asuline flowers? Um, Azuline is a component that can make a lot of different things that like you would want to have if you were gonna, you know, become yeah. a major force. Uh, I think like you know it's a it's a mineral that only exists on like uh, Cassandra and on those moons in between Cassandra and Medea because if you're talking about a whole bunch of planets there are gonna be minerals that only exist on those specific planets yeah. and uh, it's blue so it's a Sulean right uh, it's like both like sort of historically prized on Cassandra for like its use in art um, and like clearly it has like a lot of potential like medical and also like uh sort of technological uses that could be used for like war as well which is Medea wants it for technological reasons maybe because they also have this history of like building like weapons and such um and Cassandra has also been using it to develop Pasithea powder and so like um I don't know what Azulian is it's like it's unobtainium from Avatar except unlike James Cameron we gave it a fucking name instead of <laughs> unobtainium oh god <laughs> Literally, I was like 16 when that movie came out, and I was like, this is lazy writing, but okay. Oh my god. Fight me, James Cameron. Seriously. <laughs> like the Asulian flowers, I think, are part of this like tradition of like using this for art. Like, yeah. Uh, it's you know, how many how many stories do we have about like this is something that you can use for beauty or something you can use for evil? And like bring it bring it back always, like poppies. <laughs> Oh, like poppies. There we go. <laughs> um, and then final question, final of Lacey's questions and final question. What history do you imagine took place between the Agarins and the others? If the Agarins are uh, sort of big, gentle space golden retrievers uh, and the others are uh, <laughs> are big sort of alien eating um, vampires, then the Agarins have been food for times yeah. over the course of their uh, thousands of years long history. I think probably they don't do it now, but like it's been like they have co-developed in a way that humanity has not co-developed with either of them. And like yes. what the Egerans know is like, oh, over like thousands of years, the others will like periodically come back and pick some of us off. Yeah. Yeah. 
like the Akerans have a reason to be afraid because like the others see them as a potential rival and or threat, which they're not constitutionally, but they could be. Completely. Or they're not constitutionally to humans. Like, who knows? Yeah. Um my god those were a lot of questions oh my god if you're still here (laughs) listeners it's been two hours and god bless you um i i've got i like thank you so much i'm kind of speechless i feel like you know it's not goodbye it's see you later also we'll be around tumblr twitter as long as it still exists (laughs) instagram sort of (laughs) we cannot thank you enough uh we love you and yep. uh we'll see you around yep bye bye cut, cut <laughs> <laughs>